0: Today we're talking with Dean Bartles. Dean is the president and CEO of MTDG. How are you doing, Dean? Doing very well, sir. Thank you very much. That's great. So MTDG is a, a business that's committed to transforming the advanced manufacturing industrial base throughout the world. And Dean will tell us, I'm sure, a lot more about what what they're up to. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about your background and your career today.
1: Sure. So I started my career in the defense industry right out of college. I was uh, able to uh, secure a position at Fairchild Republic Company in my hometown of Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh, They were manufacturing the A-10 airplane, and I spent uh, a bit of time in industrial engineering there and then moved into the program management field. Uh, from there, I moved on to a company that became a General Dynamics Corporation. I was with them for about 31 years. I was hired to set up uh, some manufacturing lines in Egypt and Turkey, uh, and then went on to become the vice president of marketing for a while, and eventually running one of the business units there uh, that made large caliber ammunition for the Defense Department, mainly like tank ammunition, artillery ammunition, et cetera. So after a 31-year career there, I decided that it was time to uh, – do something that was you know, more interesting to me. I, I love this field of advanced manufacturing technology. Uh, I was recruited by a small brand-new startup not-for-profit in Chicago called UI Labs, and they were going after one of the uh, 15 or so now manufacturing innovation institutes that started under the Obama administration. Um, the very first one of these manufacturing innovation institutes, in fact, was one by the company that I now head, um, Actually, it's called the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining, which is one of my subsidiaries now. But um, that that institute is focused on additive manufacturing, that I'll talk a little bit more about. But the one in Chicago that I stood up uh, is called the Digital Manufacturing and Design Innovation Institute. So I was there for about two and a half years, and was able to uh, you know design and 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 set up the institute, uh, recruited over 300 members. Uh, It's still going very well today. They they now call it MXD. Instead of the MDII, but it's uh, still the same institute and uh, doing very, very well. From there, I moved on and, and helped out the American side of mechanical engineers for about six months in New York City. They, were, they asked me to come and help them with their strategy. Um, I, I then was um, able to help out the University of New Hampshire for about 14 months. They had received a $5 million gift to set up a new advanced manufacturing center there. They called me and asked me to come up. I designed that and, and had it commissioned and turned it over to them. And then I led the National Tooling and Machining Association for about eight months before the board of NCDMM asked me if I would take over this organization. This former CEO was retiring. So I've been here a little over two years. I formed this new parent company that I call the Manufacturing Technology Deployment Group. Uh, so I've got NCDMM as our, our primary subsidiary. But I also formed another not-for-profit that I call Advanced Manufacturing International. Uh, that, that's a small not-for-profit is run by Stefan Biller. Uh, they're focused on helping small media manufacturers with their journey towards industry four smart manufacturing, that kind of thing. So uh, it's been it's been a great last seven years that I've been in this not for profit world. Um, I've you know, I served on lots of not for profit boards during my career. I was the president of uh, the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, I was the president of the North American Manufacturing Research Institute. Also the Smart Manufacturing Leadership Coalition, I was the founding chairman of, which now uh, I, I actually Acquired them, I guess in the not-for-profit world we say affiliate, but they're now part of my organization as well. Um, so it's it's been it's been a great couple of years since I since I started this new position. Yeah. Uh we're 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 growing. Uh, we did about 27 million in 2019. Uh, our fiscal year ending September 30th, 2020, we did about 33 million this year. We're targeting about 44 million. So we're growing. We're doing a lot of great things to help not only small, and medium manufacturers, but also to help. Uh, the warfighter. We do a lot of work for the National, for the Department of Defense in helping them with advanced
0: manufacturing challenges. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, right now, especially with a lot of the infrastructure discussions I know that they've had uh, in Washington that uh, manufacturing is probably first and foremost most in, in terms of probably getting those types of jobs uh, boosted and back and growing. Um in the US. Uh, And so really what you guys are doing, MTDG, seems quite critical. So uh, tell me a little bit more about kind of like the types of businesses that um, the type of of work that MTDG is doing specifically right now. So one of the primary
1: programs we run, uh, we we branded it America Mix, and it's the National Additive Manufacturing Innovation Institute. Uh, We have over 200 members uh, it's a it's a public-private partnership with the Air Force. Uh, we receive a certain amount of money each year from the Air Force that is used to uh, offer up research opportunities to members. So the members primarily consist of small, medium-sized companies, large corporations, like General Electric, for example, is a big member. Um, we, we also have a lot of academic institutions that are members. So the membership has it basically decides what research is going to get done. So we we developed a technology roadmap to, to determine, okay, here's where the technology lies today in this field of additive manufacturing, also called 3D printing. Um, but here's where it's, we expect it to be in the next 10 years. And what can we do in the area of sponsoring research to help you know achieve those goals of, of, of the future for additive manufacturing? It's a very, very exciting field. Most people that hear, hear the term 3D printing, and they think of, you know, the plastic stuff that's been around for a really long time, stereolithography, for example. And it was great for prototyping. But now with, with uh, metal additive manufacturing, uh, you know, production parts are becoming more and more adopted. Uh, it, it, it's an amazing technology where you start with metal dust and you hit it with a laser and you can design and form pretty much any shape that your mind can imagine. So it, it's, a, it's a very exciting field. We still have a, lot, a long way to go. Lots of new standards have to be developed. Um, we've got to make sure that the parts that are being produced in the metal ad- additive manufacturing field have a high level of confidence by the user. So we're working on all you know, in-situ monitoring and adaptive control technology, things that will really help this, this industry grow even faster. So that's that's one of our biggest programs. But like I said, we also have things that we're helping the small medias begin their journey with Industry 4.0. And Industry 4.0 is all about connectivity, right? You want to have data streaming off of each of the machines on the shop floor. How can you use that data? How, how do you get that data to begin with? So we we've partnered with a couple of alliance partners that have some very interesting low cost, and, you know, types of technology that we can add a, a box onto a machine and be able to collect all kinds of data off of that process without machines running. Stream that data to a cloud server and be able to do some predictive analytics and be able to tell that that shop, hey, here's here's some vibration that's different. Here's some heat that's different. And maybe even be able to predict when a part's going to fail before it fails so they can change out that, that part of that machine on maybe the weekend shift instead of interrupting first shift production, which is so valuable. So the, the small mediums are a little bit more slow to adopt some of these new technologies. The large guys, of course, are they have the money to do it. They've been, they've been working on this for a number of years now. And what I hear from these large corporations is they want supplier transparency. They want to know where their parts are in the production process real time and to do that the small guys that they're that are typically their tier one two three suppliers they're gonna have to also get on this train and, and and add these sensor technologies and these types of devices that will allow those those OEMs to be able to understand where their parts are in the process and maybe even get to the point where from machine to machine as those parts are being produced you know we will we'll know the quality of the part coming off of one machine before it goes into the next machine be able to compensate for any kind of drift that might have taken place in that process, and be able to you know have that second machine automatically know, hey, I'm getting a part that maybe not be exactly what I thought, but I can compensate for that and and still
0: give you give you a good part.
1: So that, yeah, I mean, I, try, I, um,
0: I know that uh, during during the last year, uh, certainly the supply chain issues have been immense in terms of literally obviously being you know massive shortages in specific areas, and I know that we're certainly not back caught up yet in terms of, of, of that process. But I, I think what you're talking about, which is almost like the, uh, almost a, a smart supply chain, right, where we where it learns and, and can can um, maybe adjust and edit is is incredible. I, I've been so impressed on the 3D printing. You know, I was uh, I was an early, uh, I guess, hobbyist in the 3D printing space. And, uh, you know, I think I pretty much just entertain my kids by printing uh, various little toys around the house and things like that and that, that kind of rough, rough plastic. But now I've been amazed at uh, these the usages uh, of it for of dwellings, you know, building houses uh, that that technology is phenomenal uh, the, the, and quite useful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, even even more than that, Ben. I mean, yeah, yeah. 3D printing a house, you know, with the with the cement is really cool, especially when you watch these YouTube videos to see one being built. But what's really really amazing to me is they're 3D printing human organs now. So there, there's wow. uh, an in- institute that that's part of the Manufacturing Innovation USA program. Uh, there's an institute in New Hampshire that uh, is focused on that technology. So they've already demonstrated they can do it in a lab. Now the question is, how do you ramp that up and be able to do it in higher volume production? Um, so it's, it's still still a long journey ahead, but but the, the technology is just absolutely
0: amazing. Yeah, so, so tell us a little bit about this past year. I imagine the manufacturing base and partners as well as you, the companies associated with you guys uh, have, have had a, probably a b- bit of a bumpy road at times, probably some have excelled. I'd just be curious to hear uh, how how they how, how your 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 group basically participated, maybe even in the solutions of some of the problems that we had. Well, absolutely.
1: The American Makes Institute was really on the cutting edge of figuring out solutions for the you know the, some of the needs during the pandemic. Whether it was you know parts for ventilators or masks or whatever, the three D printing community really came in and gathered around and figured out ways to get stuff done. Um, there's there's several reports out there about the success of that rapid response program, um, but one of the things that I think the pandemic has showed manufacturers is they really need to rethink their their offshoring because uh, we, we were very fortunate here in the United States to respond as quickly as we were able to, and and not really have a huge impact on the manufacturing sector that much. And, and but but in other countries, the suppliers that they were relying on. Um, anyway, the, uh, the, what, what I think a lot of companies have learned is you know we, we need to rethink this whole offshoring thing and we need to figure out how, ways to bring that back into the United States because here in the United States, we're very fortunate. We have you know uh, access to modern science that a lot of countries don't have, and we were able to really you know pull, pull together and get things done a lot faster than some of the other countries. So the, the biggest impacts to manufacturing here in the United States was the availability of parts that they were used to buying offshore. So you're going to,
0: I believe you're going to see a, a lot of that work coming back to the U.S., which is great, of course, for workers in this country. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I think it's almost kind of like making, you know, shoring up that supply chain. So you have a bit of a mix probably of international as well as uh, local, which it's shocking that it didn't exist in the first place. And I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're seeing that type of adjustment happening. So, so tell me, when you look at the manufacturing space right now in the country, um, what are the what are the challenges that you see that we that we need to be tackling, and what are the things that you're really excited about that are happening? Well, one of the things that we we are still working on is is coming
1: up with a standard that allows all the machine tools on the shop floors to sort of speak in one common language. You know, this is kind of reminds me of the computer industry back in the day when if you wanted to hook up a printer or even a mouse, I mean, it was quite a challenge,
0: right? Until they standardized on USB and Bluetooth. You know, uh, I, now it's just I, so uh, it's- a funny story. Uh, you know, I set up a middleware uh, software business with a group of friends of mine. Uh, you you'll probably remember this there was a time when if you wanted to send a mobile message from one mobile carrier to the other you couldn't do that right <laughs> and right, so right so we literally built the middleware piece there so you're absolutely right getting systems to talk to one another is it was absolutely critical well well the good news is is that the association
1: for manufacturing technology led by my good friend Doug Woods you know they had the vision to recognize that you know because they they represent all the machine tool builders pretty much in the United States and and some outside of the United States and they they recognized how big of a problem this was you want to connect the bar feeder to a lathe and you you know they don't talk to each other right you got to write a separate API so they came up with this standard they call MT Connect and MT Connect has really progressed so well over the last 10 years but we still have a ways to go we're still working on sections of the standard for different you know parts of different processes but but it's really coming along, and more and more machine tool builders are adopting the MT Connect standard, and that's that's been a huge challenge for, for, like I said, the last 10 years. But really starting to make some headway. So that's that's one big challenge. The other big challenge, as I said, the large corporations are have embraced manufacturing 4.0, Industry 4.0, as the Germans call it, smart manufacturing. Pick your buzzword. Uh, but the small mediums have been sort of the laggards, right? They're they're really slow to adopt this technology. And we've we've got to get the small mediums to embrace this technology in order to have the overall manufacturing system here in the United States be more efficient and be able to compete globally. So that's that's the challenge of my new, uh, you know, subsidiary that I call
0: Advanced Manufacturing National. they you know we're, that, we're not it, for profit. We're, a, not, we're not in
1: this to make money, right?
0: Is it a issue related to just cost for those guys? I mean, is it just so hard to retool? Well. Well, it, it is in the sense that if they were to follow
1: the lead of the large guys and they were to work with some of the really large corporations that the large guys use, it's very expensive, right? I mean, if you wanted to have Siemens come in and, and you know, take over your manufacturing shop and deploy it with sensors and the software that are needed to do all these things, you're looking at a million dollars plus, right? But And the large guys can afford that. And, of course, you know, Siemens, you're, you're going to get first-class stuff. But the small guys can't afford that. So we've, we have found a small company – that has come up with a way to do this for a few thousand dollars. Now, the other challenge, the other challenge that everyone's very familiar with, and if, you, if you're reading the news at all, is cybersecurity. So, you know, if you're going to hook up machine tools that are going to stream data to the cloud and you're going to do predictive analytics that will report back to the machine, everyone's a little concerned about cybersecurity. The Defense Department is so concerned that they've now come out with a new policy that they call the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. And anyone that's doing business for the Department of Defense, whether you're a prime contractor or a tier one, two, three supplier, you're going to have to be certified that you are compliant with these new standards and everyone's going to have to do it. Well, okay. It's one thing to say, yes, I've got all the uh, protocols in place and all the precautions and all the stuff that I need to protect my computers in the office. But now what about all those machines out in the shop floor that might be connected to the internet? So the, these technologies are what AMI is focused on, and they're going to help the small and mediums be able to do this at a very, very affordable cost. You know, we've partnered with an alliance partner called StrongKey, and they've they've got encryption and tokenization technology that's used in the credit card industry, so it's very, very secure. And we're able to offer that level of technology, uh, which which absolutely exceeds any requirements that the Department of Defense is rolling out, and for a very modest cost. You know, for about a thousand bucks, we can we can install a box that will make sure
0: all those machines are protected so that's that's the yeah. I mean the cyber area yeah this cybersecurity thing is going to be something that will just be um a challenge i think that we're all going to have to face for the next for the rest of our lives uh for for sure and it will continue to evolve i mean what happened with the thing it was colonial that whole kind of issue they had uh with the cybersecurity threat was 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 huge and um I I can only imagine when you have smart machines involved you know the risks are tremendous uh, so well you know every every everyone's familiar with stuxnet right so and that look how long ago that
1: happened right so you know somebody i'm not going to say who but somebody was able to in- infect the, the centrifuges that i ran to have them spin out of control and destroy themselves i mean that's pretty scary right so, so that that kind of technology is out there now, and and people are very concerned about their machines getting hacked, not not only possibly destroying the machine, but I, I can give you an example where a professor at the University of Virginia or Virginia Tech, it might have been, I think it was Virginia Tech. They they did a, an experiment with their students. They had them all write a little program to produce a 3D printed part. They handed in their thumb drives to the professor for evaluation. He had a graduate student take the the the, the code and add just one little extra line of code. That caused it to, to create a defect in the part that you could not see by the human eye. Only one student caught it by watching the 3D printer the entire time it was printing, saw this this little defect, of, you know, be developed and then and then covered up, right? So that's the kind of stuff you're concerned about, right? You got you got to we got to make sure that these machines on the shop floors everywhere in all manufacturing plants are extremely cyber secure. So what, what a lot of people do is they say, okay, we'll, we'll just air gap our, our shop. We're not going to have any of our machines connected. Well, that defeats the whole purpose of Industry 4.0. So we've got to find that middle ground where everyone feels secure enough with the technology that they can still stream all the data to the cloud and do the predictive analytics and let the customers know where
0: their parts are in real time. So, so Dean, I mean, one of the questions I have is, and we talk a lot about this, obviously, on the show, is just education and, um, you know, whether whether we where we are in terms of the talent uh, that we have in the US, you know, the reality is that um, the country let that manufacturing base slip for a long, long time. And we're starting to see it really build back. Obviously, organizations like yours are absolutely critical in that rebuilding process. But uh, how do you feel about the, the talent base that we have and, and the individuals we have coming up and, and what are, what, what's, what's evolving in that space? So a couple of things. Uh, first of
1: all, you know, hats off to President Obama and his administration to start this Manufacturing USA network. So, you know, every single one of the institutes, I think there's 16 or 17 now, and there's there's bills currently going through Congress that look pretty good that we're, there's going to be additional funding to do a couple of more each year for the next couple of years. Every one of these institutes are not only focused on maturing technology beyond the technology readiness levels of, of one through three, their focus is five through seven, that middle middle you know missing valley of death they call it, but but they're, they're they're maturing technology, but they're also a heavy emphasis on workforce development, education and training. So they're you know every one of these institutes is helping companies with the training of their of their current workforce as well as potentially new new uh, you know employees coming out of college and even sometimes coming out of high school with some of the training to get them ready to do. You know, the kinds of work that's going to be need, needed to be done with these new advanced technologies. So that's one area. Another, another area, you know, hats off to the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, which goes by SME now. I mean, they've got ToolingU. I mean, tooling ToolingU has really grown. And there's so many courses you can take online to learn how to do some of the jobs that are required in manufacturing today. And they've got courses on on some of the advanced technologies as well as, as some of the other technologies that are still, as you know, being used. Like, you know, 85 to 90 percent of the machine tools out there on the shop floors in this country are legacy machine tools. They don't have all this capability to stream data to the cloud unless they add a box like AMI is trying to offer. Um, Also, there's another association called the Association for Technology Management, Management and Applied Engineering. And those are colleges that are focused on students that are going to be graduating ready to enter the workforce in a manufacturing environment as one i mean construction and graphics and other things but the the, the people entering manufacturing jobs that come out of these these atme accredited uh, institutions you know they've got hours and hours of experience of working on machine tools during their curriculum and they're ready to take frontline supervisor jobs as soon as they graduate so it's organizations like that that are that are really helping with the challenges
0: of workforce development education and training and how to prepare students in the future it sounds to me that like uh, the manufacturing space could be a good, uh, good, good place for people to consider for for their, for well, the next generation You know, jobs. We're,
1: we're still, yeah, we're still we're still struggling with uh, you know the concept of you know manufacturing is is dark, dirty, dangerous, you know that kind of thing. I I, I just wish we 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 could do a, get a better job of, of educating the people in this country that that that's the old manufacturing. The new manufacturing is, is really exciting. It's and it's 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 challenging, it's mentally stimulating. And it's you know, it's it's the kind of work that I believe this next generation coming up is is would, would be excited about if they just knew about it. So that's part of our challenge is to educate people, you know, get the yeah. word out there that that the, the, the new manufacturing is pretty exciting. Well, I mean, I,
0: I think Dean, what you were talking about, which are some of the key things that are happening today in terms of 3D printing. That, that is unbelievably interesting and exciting. And you can imagine how that could be applied in a million different ways. How do you see things evolving in some of these spaces over the next couple of years?
1: So I, I think you're going to see more and more
0: technology coming out that, that'll be
1: you know user ready, right? So the institutes are, like I said, they're focused on maturing these technologies beyond the, the the one through three level, you know, the the Department of Defense calls it the technology readiness level, right? So it's one through 10. And that four, five, six, seven is where the institute's focus on. And so when when they mature these technologies and get them out there to the commercialization phase, these eight, nine, and 10 phase, you know, every institute's focused on this. So all these new advanced manufacturing technologies are getting through that, what used to be called the valley of death, right? The missing middle. And, And they're pushing them out there for companies to commercialize. None of the institutes will own this technology. The, the companies that are the members are driving that, and we're just helping to facilitate that. And the U.S. government is putting up literally over a billion dollars so far to help push these technologies out there into the marketplace and, and, and have companies to adopt them. So I, I think you're going to see more and more companies adopting the advanced manufacturing technologies, the you know the connectivity, all of it, right? To be and, and artificial intelligence and machine learning is another area that you keep an eye on that that you know right now there's software out there that will generate designs that you couldn't think of yourself right it's 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 generative design literally that the software you you give it the parameters of the of basic the size and the the strength of the different areas of the part and it'll come up with all these different alternatives for you so that that kind of technology is just so
0: exciting and and it's it's here today yeah. We just got to get more people aware. Yeah, of, you know, available today. I think, Dean, you know, it's it's what a great conversation we we've been having. It, it it's it's amazing to see some of these technologies and how they're being applied as almost kind of a almost an early stage right now. But really, kind of, I can I get a sense of the resources, the capabilities that you're talking about being applied to these spaces are going to offer us to scale this stuff, roll it out build kind of a stronger base and uh, you know I, I share your your concern on small to medium-sized businesses and making sure that they have access to the, the right resources and so you know kudos to you guys to obviously support that that effort uh, we've been speaking with Dean Bartles he's the president and CEO of MTdG that's the manufacturing technology deployment group. It's a group committed to transforming the advanced manufacturing industrial base throughout the world. Um, Dean has been sharing with us such a wide range of, of incredible breakthroughs that are happening in terms of you know, 3D printing, uh, smart supply chains, and many, many more activities. Um, I, I'm very, very pleased to see how you guys are evolving. If someone wanted to learn more about what you guys are working on, Dean, where should they go? So if you Google MTDG, that'll bring you right to the the website,
1: and from that website, there's connections right right there on the front page to NCDMM and to AMI. And, of course, America Makes, if you want to become a member of the institute, uh, the, the way this membership model works is you can satisfy the annual cost just by being involved. You get credit for participating. You get credit for attending the meetings. And most of our tier one members, the lower, the lower memberships, that they can satisfy their annual membership fee just by being involved. And that's what we want. We want the small companies to have the opportunity to be at the table with the big boys and understand what the challenges are and be able to find
0: solutions for those challenges. So we welcome everyone. That's great. Well, listen, Dean, thank you so much for being on Cage today. And I look forward to talking to you again soon on how things are evolving. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers.